Welcome to Assembly Point, a brand new monthly podcast by the Fire Protection Association. The devastating circumstances of the Grenfell Tower tragedy brought the subject of fire safety into sharp focus. But has anything changed since that day in 2017? What is being done to ensure that everyone involved in the design, construction and management of buildings, as well as those who occupy them, understands their role in minimising the risks? Our host for the series is Howard Passy, the FPA's Director of Operations and respected fire industry professional. From legislative change, updated guidance and improving safety standards to the need for greater education and training, join us as we talk with experts and influencers from across industries to move the debate on fire safety forwards and identify ways to work together to improve standards. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello everyone and welcome to the FPA's Assembly Point podcast. I'm your host Howard Passy and today I'm delighted to be speaking to Sarah Brody, who is the Policy Advisor for General Insurance at the Association of British Insurers. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to discussing some interesting and important topics with you. However, um, to set the scene a little for our listeners, could you give us a quick overview of the Association of British Insurers or, or the ABI as maybe it's better known and uh, what your role and responsibilities there are? Sure thing. Um, thanks for having me on today, Howard. So the Association of British Insurers, um, we call ourselves the ABI, represents the interests of the insurance and long-term savings industry. We have over 200 member companies, including most household names and specialist providers. And basically the ABI's role is to be the public voice of the sector, promoting the value of its products and highlighting its importance to the wider sector, as well as helping to inform public policy debates by engaging with politicians, policymakers, and regulators. As you've flagged, I'm a policy advisor in the general insurance team. I have policy responsibility for property-related issues that covers both domestic and commercial properties and kind of the, the key things happening at the moment, one of which is fire, which we'll be talking about today. Sure, it sounds like you've got a um, a lot on your plate, to be perfectly honest, certainly given the um, the changes that we're seeing coming through and, and hopefully we'll have an opportunity to explore some of that as we as we press on through. I'm aware that as part of the ABI's commitment to reducing the risk of fire, you have a, a series of, of key asks of the government over policy. Um, are you able to give us a, an overview of what you're seeking and, and the impacts you think these measures will have? Sure. So the ABI has been arguing for many years, including before the Grenfell uh, Tower tragedy, that there needs to be fundamental reform of the building regulatory and safety system. And this was reinforced even further when Dame Judith Haggett's review found that the current building regulation system was not fit for purpose. So what we've done is create a key set of asks to put forward to government that we think would greatly improve fire safety. The first ask is around combustible cladding. We think that uh, the ban on combustible cladding shouldn't be limited to a height threshold. Instead, it should reflect the risk and vulnerability of the building and those within it. Specifically, we're saying that combustible cladding shouldn't be used on care homes, hospitals, residential schools, hotels, and student accommodation of any height because those buildings are particularly vulnerable and include particularly vulnerable occupants. 
We've also got key asks around improving the resilience of properties by mandating the use of um, sprinklers in new build, high-rise, high-risk buildings, and also installing high-integrity fire alarms. And the purpose of this is to address the high number of false alarms that the fire and rescue service is seeing at the moment. And it means that when there is a fire alarm, the fire and rescue service knows that they're needed rather than having to deal with a verification system to ascertain whether there is a fire or not. And then finally, we, we note that modern methods of construction uh, is a priority for government in achieving their target of building new homes. However, we think that it's essential that these buildings are built in a way that means they are resilient to perils, including fire. And so one of the key things that we are calling for is the rigorous testing of the long-term durability, repairability, and resilience of buildings developed using modern methods of construction so that the insurance industry can fully understand the associated costs and practicalities of their repair, and even more importantly, ensure that these buildings are able to access insurance for their lifetime. There's, there's quite a few issues there that, that, that you've highlighted. Starting with the first, just very, very briefly, I fully agree with you that it shouldn't be hype that defines the level of risk and, and how we treat that particular building, but the, the risk associated with it. And, uh, and of course, you know, life safety is one aspect of that. Um, do you think from a property protection perspective that there's a different way of looking at risk? Um, I know you highlighted things like modern construction methods and modern materials and other other risks and perils, but it, is there more to it than than just that life safety argument? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that there, there's a lot more to consider. Obviously, I completely appreciate that um, fire safety is very closely linked to life safety and protecting the lives of people. Um, but there's also massive implications um, in a broader sense that result from fire um, and the destruction of property. Um, people can become completely displaced, um, results in a significant amount of disruption and inconvenience. Um, fire can result um, in the loss of people's um, property, livelihood, things that they hold really close. It can mean that they can't access their building, community centres, schools, things that are used by the public. There's definitely a, a much wider range of considerations that need to be taken into account when determining kind of what buildings we want to focus the highest level of protections on. And I think that's more than simply just one trigger height of 11 or 18 metres. Very much agree with that. I might return to that again in a few moments, if if that's okay. Just thinking about that that general resilience um, requirement that, that that maybe commonly gets overlooked. Um, but just reflecting on your comments with regard to to sprinklers um, as an organisation, FPA, and and we know that um, the ABI have been very vocal as well over the years, um, not just on sprinkler protection for for life safety um, and for property protection in those maybe more vulnerable buildings, as as, as you've highlighted earlier, but for also also for spaces like warehouses and and those kinds of things. Um, why do you think that's so important and how far do you think 
this is from becoming a, a reality. Do you do you see anything in the in the discussions that are going on at the moment that um, would suggest we're heading in the right direction? Yeah, so so I completely agree with you there, Howard. Um, the ABI is very much aligned with the FPA and our, our call for for mandatory um, sp sprinklers in, in high rise, high risk buildings. I mean. There's numerous um, evidence um, to show the benefits of sprinklers, not only just to improve the safety of individuals to prevent any injury or death, they also help reduce the amount of damage done to contents and the structure of the property. Um, and in fact, losses from fires in buildings protected with sprinklers are estimated to be a tenth of those in buildings without sprinkler protection. So the evidence is definitely there behind it. And what it means when a property is better protected is that it, it enables the vital services provided by schools and care homes, key buildings we want to target, to be back up and running following a fire as quickly as possible. Um, and if we turn to, you know, the commercial warehouse side of this, um, fires in these buildings, which can contain millions of units of stock, can have devastating impact on the economy and result in millions of pounds worth of cost and damage. And there's also a real risk to lives of firefighters in these situations as well. So sprinklers is definitely an active um, conversation insurers will have with their customers and about whether that's appropriate for their building and may also be something that insurers take into account when assessing risk and setting premiums. In terms of what we're seeing at the moment, I think there has been some movement. Um, the government has announced um, that it will be mandating sprinkler systems in all new high-rise blocks of flats over 11 metres. So that's um, great news. Obviously, once again, that's limiting it to a height threshold rather than um, a risk based assessment. Um, and we're also currently awaiting the outcome of the consultation on BB100 and the installation of sprinklers in schools. But I do think that these reforms do need to go a bit further. And I think it's probably a theme that will come up throughout our conversation is the importance of really targeting those at highest risk and using a risk-based assessment rather than a a height threshold, which is a bit more arbitrary and less likely to target the the buildings and occupants that need protecting the most. Mm. I, th I think in much the same way as you know we've seen, well over over my career within fire, numerous changes to legislation to you know to deal with things differently, um, uh, a slower change to building regulations, sadly, um, but. There appears to me to be plenty of evidence that change is required, and and maybe more significantly than we're that we're seeing, you know, potentially implemented at the moment. Um, what else do you think we need to do to influence government towards these changes? Is there is there a lack of data, for example, that you know that helps convince them, or 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 is there some other reason you think that they're, I suppose dragging their feet somewhat in, in making more significant changes which will benefit both life safety, firefighter safety as you've mentioned and also asset protection. Yeah, I think we can all agree that building regulations reform have been slower than we wanted. We're now significantly past the Grenfell um, tragedy which kicked off a lot of these reforms. I think when looking to influence government, one of the key things they are seeking is data and the evidence base. If you're going to mandate something like 
sprinklers in schools, that's going to come at a cost, um, the cost of which may be perceived to be um, large. So you need to provide the evidence base for, well, what what are the reasons to support that that cost is warranted? Um, for example, uh, the number of schools that have avoided a fire because of sprinklers, which has meant that um, children can stay in school, stay in education. Um, there's not the disruption. There's the use of the facilities for the community. And like, what what is the, the broad set of implications um, that prove that it's worth investing in things like sprinklers? Well, even the fact you mentioned earlier, you know, cost of fires, where sprinklers are installed is a tenth of that um, in in premises where they're not. You would have thought that that would be enough of a steer for you know for government to to start thinking differently, but we'll we'll have to see how that develops. I suppose as um, as as we see changes to legislation and regulation moving forward, um, we've touched a few times on on the importance of business resilience um, and the benefit that that can bring to um, to organisations. Um, and I was going to explore that in a little more detail, really, in terms of um, considering how important it is for businesses to to understand that risk and the and the need for them to implement some form of organisation resilience so that they can reduce the risk of asset loss. Um, but I, I think you've touched on some of those points already. I'm just wondering whether you think that there are any barriers to organisations being able to do that at the moment. I think kind of, and this really links in closely to the FPA's campaign, it's about knowing your risk. So it, it's ensuring that building owners are engaged with their fire risk. They've got um, fire risk assessments and management plans in place, and they've identified measures that they need to take to reduce any kind of fire risk. So it's really ensuring that level of engagement. It's working with your insurer closely um, and having those preventative measures in place that are regularly checked on um, and kind of, if anything crops up that, you know, a building owner thinks, oh, this might be increasing my risk, actively taking measures to, to prevent that. And it can be really simple things like, for example, um, if, if you leave bins outside, there might be an increased risk of arson and the, the fire from the bins might spread to your um, commercial premises. So some of them are kind of straightforward um, matters, but it is important for um, property owners to, to have those considerations and to work with their insurers to come up with risk management plans. Sure, and and that's something that insurers are, are happy to engage in. Is it that 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 level of support they're they're prepared to to provide? Yes, well, it, it's in everyone's interest to um, reduce the risk of fire. Obviously, business owners, uh, property owners, want to be able to continue to use their premises without the disruption um, of fire, and also it's an insurer's interest to manage the risk so that the risk of fire is as low as possible. So it's most definitely something that um, people can work with their insurer on and their insurer should be able to provide that kind of advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the points you touched on there was about knowing your building and, and the campaign that um, that we're running at FPA at the moment. And and, and you're quite right to have flagged that. It, it continues to amaze me that 
that premises owners have such a poor understanding of the way that their building has been constructed, despite requirements within building regulations to, you know, to pass information across at the end of construction or refurbishment works. It's still, you know, it still seems hugely problematic to me um, that they just don't have a better grasp. But even just today, I was looking at a condition survey for a residential care home and a fire risk assessment. The condition survey says that the compartmentation standards are shocking, um, whereas the fire risk assessment doesn't address that at all. But um, we, we, we might come on to competency and, um, and certification in, in a few moments. Uh, so I could explore that a little more. Just just one, I suppose, one further question about that resilience um, issue. What do you think is the, well, what do you think are the initial steps that a, a business owner or an operator could take that will, that will really assist them in understanding better the risks to their organisation um, and, and start to make the necessary plans for an incident of some sort which, which leaves part of the, uh, or maybe all of the building, unavailable to them? Is there, is there something really simple and straightforward they can do? I, I expect the answer is no, but um, I'd be interested in your <laughs> it's not It's not going to be a 15-minute tick box <laughs> exercise, I'm afraid, to report. I think it's really important to be prepared and to plan. So you want to see a fire risk assessment in place, um, potentially a business continuity plan. So what happens if the worst happens and you're not able to use your premises? What are your next steps? As we've already talked about, you know, we don't expect necessarily every commercial property owner to have those expertise. So that's where your insurer can provide some support and they can talk you through what measures are needed for the particular property. Particularly with commercial premises, there is no one size fits all. There's much different purposes for the use of businesses. You could have a hairdressers or you could have um, a commercial warehouse that has thousands of boxes of stock in it. So the measures that you put in place will be needed to be tailored to that particular property. And you can kind of consider, you know, your passive and active fire risk measures. So those that reduce the risk of fires in the first place, and then ensuring appropriate mechanisms are in place to manage a fire if one doesn't occur. So a kind of a wraparound um, plan as well. Yeah, I think from my perspective, and, and I think this is going to sound a bit like a plug, but um, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, risk authority in a few moments, and, and I'll introduce what that is at that point. But um, one of the products that uh, that's been produced through that particular scheme is a is a piece of software called Robust, um, and it's completely freely available. So when I say I'm concerned, I'm plugging a product. It's uh, it's something that we give away anyway. But one of the the staples of of, of that particular piece of work is it does help people to to plan effectively um, and work towards that comprehensive business continuity plan. Um, initially through, and as you've said, uh, trying to identify the things that can go wrong and what the impacts of those are likely to be. And, and that does allow you, as you said, to, you know, to plan effectively going forward. Going to change the subject slightly and, um, and, and open a can of worms, if I may. But um, I'm just interested to know what you think the impact of proposed new legislation um, is likely to be. We've got a fire safety bill coming forward. We've got a building safety bill, um, which we, we're getting some details about. We're looking at updated building regulations and, 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 and guidance. Um, 
what kind of impact do you think there will be on the overall fire risk? And, and do you think these new regulations will help businesses become more resilient to fire? So the insurance industry has an integral interest in fit-for-purpose building regulations that protect lives and property from the risk of fire. And as I said earlier, we have long been calling for these reforms. Therefore, we've, we've supported the Fire Safety Bill throughout its parliamentary stages, and we support its fundamental aim to provide much-needed clarity on the responsibilities and duties of the building owner. Um, the second more significant piece of legislation, the Building Safety Bill, has also been um, released and we have commented on it in its pre-legislative scrutiny phase. I think there's a lot to welcome in these bills and we look forward to working with government um, as they progress um, through, through Parliament. And we hope that these deliver the kind of lasting changes that we've been calling for. I think it's essential that these reforms ensure that buildings are built in a manner which reduces the risk of fire for the lifetime of the building and there is a robust system of accountability. There really needs to, these reforms really need to re-establish confidence in building safety for insurers, residents, fire services and the wider construction industry. In saying that, of course, there are areas that we think um, the legislation could go further in. Um, to repeat a key message, I think that we've talked about um, a new regulatory regime has been introduced for buildings over 18 metres. But once again, it's using a height threshold rather than taking into consideration the risk and vulnerability of the building and its occupants, which might be a building below that 18 metres. Um, we would like to see certification of all fire safety engineers and contracted to ensure and contractors to ensure that they are suitably qualified. And we'd like to see some further detail on things like the type of information that will make up the golden thread. So while uh, the fire safety bill is kind of going between the Lords and Commons at the moment on some um, potential amendments, I think the building safety bill is still very much at its early stages. Um, but we do encourage the, the government to work at pace to get these reforms in place so that we can have this better built environment. Mm -hmm. I think one of the concerns I have, and, and, and I think of express this um in in earlier episodes is is the potential for us to have almost a you know a, a two-tier legislative arrangement now i know that's not uncommon for those of us who are old enough to remember the old fire precautions act we were aware that that didn't apply to every premises only certain designated premises but i think you you reflected on the fact that we're we're dealing with with height thresholds more so than risk um and certainly when it comes to competency and certification of individuals um, and kit and equipment that, 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 that might be used in these circumstances, um, we probably have to think beyond where the thinking takes us at the moment. Yes, it's right to be dealing with these higher rise and higher risk elements. So I, I don't disagree with that. But um, I think that when you consider other types of premises, healthcare, for example, construction sites, the different competencies, different skill sets, different products and services that are required in, in, in those circumstances, I think, to ensure the safety of the building going forward. And, and maybe we shouldn't be treating those any differently to everything else. But clearly, we're looking at a significant change. 
coming forward, certainly for part of the built environment. How prepared do you think we are for, for those changes at the moment? I think there's still a lot of detail that needs to be fleshed out. So I think the the way the Building Safety Bill is currently structured, it provides the framework for a new system, but a lot of the detail is to be left in regulations and secondary legislation. So that's where you're really going to find out the detail behind it, what people are actually going to be required to do, what people's actual roles and responsibilities are, what actual information is going to be captured on a building from its planning construction to when it's occupied. And I think the government has committed to publishing that information. So we do look forward to seeing that so we can understand it a bit further um, what the actual implications of these changes are. But we definitely kind of welcome the, the aims that it's seeking to achieve. Yeah, I, I think you're correct. You know, the, the direction of travel seems to be good, but the devil's in the detail a little bit, I think. Um, I mentioned risk authority earlier on, and, and, and I know that you'll be familiar with, with what that is. But just for the benefit of our listeners, um, risk authority is an, uh, an insurer-funded research scheme that, um, that we administer at, and, and support at the FPA. Looking at some of the statistics that we maintain, which are a large loss statistics, and um, we found that the average loss for these large fires over a 10-year period is in excess of £650,000 per incident. Um, now, I'm aware that you'll probably have far more comprehensive and more detailed um, statistical data but do you think that if organizations better understood the financial impact of fires or, or any form of, of loss to their property they would be more inclined to to treat safety as a as a higher priority absolutely and isn't that figure of six hundred fifty thousand pounds absolutely shocking um so we we do you're right howard we collect our own um data at the abi from our commercial property members and what the evidence is showing us is that we're seeing fewer fires, but the fires we are seeing are more costly and more likely to lead to the total loss of a structure, which is where you're seeing those really significant claims when the full ball, uh, building um, loss um, happens as a result of fire. So ABI data on commercial flyer claims has shown us that between 2010 and 2017, the average cost of a commercial fire claim in the industry has increased threefold from £11,000 in 2010 to over £33,000 in 2017. So that's a significant increase. And that's just your regular commercial fire claims, not, not the large losses that are collected by the risk authority. But that's still a significant amount of money and a significant increase. Absolutely. And why do you think that is? You know, when you look at the um, when you look at the statistics in terms of the number of fires um, that the uh, that the government publish, it, it looks very much as though the the number of fires is decreasing. Um, now that may be because we're you know we're looking at both domestic and commercial um, issues, uh, whilst at the same time the number of or, or the the cost of fires is in is increasing. Um, is there a is there a, an obvious cause for that, or is it simply a matter of we're building things differently nowadays? I think I probably can't give an absolute reason behind um, 
the cause of that increase in cost. But I think what we're seeing, and particularly as a result of the Grenfell tragedy, is that you're more likely to see a total loss of the building. Um, and that's based on a number of factors, the use of combustible materials, just not just on the cladding, but used inside um, of the building, issues with cavity barriers, um, and that fire is traveling throughout a building rather than just being kind of limited to, you know, the, the one apartment or the neighboring apartments as well. So it is a real concern. And I think that's where the building regulation reform needs to step in so that insurers can have the confidence that if a fire is to occur, for example, in a high rise residential building, that fire spread is limited in the way that the building regulations say it will be. Yeah, total loss is an interesting um, is an interesting viewpoint, isn't it? I suppose that um, we're not seeing partial losses of buildings so much, but you know, more inclined to see um, circumstances where the entire building is uh, is lost. And I suppose on the back of that, I'm going to ask you, and with apologies in advance, a sort of an how long is a piece of string type question. But do you think that there are any obvious things that insurance companies would like to see? Um, their clients and customers, premises owners, implementing when offering them cover against fire? Are there some obvious changes that we could that, that they could encourage or that could be made? So insurers are most definitely taking a more detailed approach to risk assessments. Um, they've obviously obtained significantly more uh, knowledge about the impact of combustible materials, how it reacts in fire and the implications. So when they're making their risk assessments, um, they're definitely taking that into account. Unfortunately, there's no simple answer. I think in general, what insurers want to see is that uh, kind of full fire assessment of the building, kind of the materials used, how it was constructed, how it will respond to a named peril, um, as we <laughs> say in the insurance industry, and, and a peril means kind of something that, that happens to the building, a flood, a fire, a storm, mm -hmm. and so on, um, so that they can make that, that fulsome risk assessment. I think if a building owner has any kind of concerns, it's worth engaging with your insurer as early as possible so you can kind of work together to put in place any mitigation strategies that might be needed. One of the things that, again, I've reflected on in, in earlier episodes of, of, this, uh, of this podcast has been, I think, sometimes the trepidation that um, building premises owners and operators have when it comes to liaising with insurers um, you know I know from my experience um, undertaking fire safety consultancy that uh, if the uh, if the premises think the the fire officer is coming round you know huge amounts of work goes into tidying stuff up and finding maintenance records because they they think you're there to to uncover faults and um, uh, and and point the finger and and I think much the same is thought of insurers whereas you know the work that I do through risk authority recognize very much that insurers are there to help it's in their best interest to do so and uh, you know encourage people to be I suppose less concerned about engaging with their insurer because you know they do have lots of useful and and helpful information and lots of experience 
experience in, in in managing risk going forward. But it's also interesting your your comment there about a detailed approach, and and that sort of reflects back on that know your building theme, I suppose. That um, you need to understand in detail how your premises operates and and, and how your buildings established and and put together and where the risks are, so that in order that you can you know you can mitigate them effectively. Um, some of those risks, though, we do do get missed. You know, people people don't um, see them. And I know we touched on a little bit earlier, um, or at least mentioned it briefly, third-party certification and accreditation. Um, do you think that that's something that should become mandatory for people who are carrying out fire safety work within a building? Um, and do you think the insurance industry will respond differently to such a change in the way that they uh, profile organisational risk? I agree that the competence of those carrying out fire safety measures is really important. And we were glad to see at the ABI that in the Building Safety Bill, there's provision for improving the skills and competence of building contractors and fire safety professionals. Um, and we support the government's plans for all inspectors to meet a minimum standard of competence to assess um, all buildings. And we are calling for certification for all fire safety engineers and contractors to ensure they are suitably qualified to undertake this work. So I think this is really essential and a key component that needs to come out of these reforms um, through the legislative vehicles that we talked about earlier. I think that's a, a really interesting point about certification and confidence of the insurance market in the products and services that are being offered. One last question, if I may. So slightly different, um, but 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 along the along the same lines, I suppose. Um, I suppose there's one issue that that's affected organisations and individuals um, quite significantly over the last year, and and, and that being the, the COVID-19 um, as a pandemic, it's meant that a large number of organisations who've had to switch to home working have, have left their premises largely unattended for what could be quite prolonged periods of time for some. Now, I'm reasonably certain you've been working with insurers and uh, your members on this, but how has the insurance industry viewed this in terms of the the potential impact on fire risk. So you're right, Howard. The ABI has worked with the insurance industry to try and provide straightforward information to businesses on the impact of COVID-19 on their insurance. Um, and one of those issues that has kind of continually cropped up between different lockdowns, different government advice um, is unoccupied premises. I think our current advice at the moment is that um, business owners should continue to check on their unoccupied premises regularly and carry out normal risk management pr processes unless prevented to by any um, government or local restrictions. If a business owner is um, unable to visit their premises as is required by their policy, um, it is best to speak to your insurer in that circumstance. And insurers are looking to be flexible um, where, you know, a temporarily unoccupied SME business is unable to be checked on regularly due to government guidance preventing this. But that flexibility um, is kind of only allowed where the business owner has followed the risk management advice provided by their insurer and has taken reasonable endeavours to ensure their premises is suitably secure. 
different measures might need to be put in place um, in some cases where there are higher hazards. Sarah, thank you again for taking time out to speak with us today and for sharing your insights on asset protection in the provision of fire safety. It's been a a really interesting chat. Uh, Thank you again. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. Thank you for listening to the FPA's Assembly Point podcast, created as part of our Know Your Building campaign. To hear more episodes or for more information and resources on Know Your Building, which is helping building owners and managers reduce the risk of fire, please visit www.thefpa.co.uk and search Know Your Building.